Welcome to the Oasis Revival Ministry podcast and sermon of the week. We hope you enjoy this message by Bernadine McGear. For more sermons or info regarding our church, visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za. Throughout this morning, I want to show you just a couple of things. At every place where God does something significant for the Egyptians, for the Israelites, at every place of significance, every place where God did something significant, I mean, he did great miracles in that time, and he still does, but after every miracle, he wanted the Israelites to remember it, right? He made them either write it down on a tablet, write it down in a book, they had a book where they would write all these things down, or they would have to build an altar, or they, had, they wrote songs that were to remember, to remind them of the works of God. And or they would make feasts. God um, would give them, okay, this is the feast of the tabernacles, or this this is the feast of the Passover. And they had to go through this ritual. But every time the the reason was to remember what God has done and to pass on that remembrance for their children's 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 children. Okay, because they know about generation to generation to generation. They had been you know, they knew what it was like to pass over information or the, the testament of God from generation to generation. And this is how it was done. And God stopped them every time and said, do this. This is, will be called the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of whatever to remember me by. So um, uh, today we have the Holy Spirit that reminds us. All right? Today we have, um, we have this. Right? We have this that reminds us of the great works that God had done, but we also have the Holy Spirit. But, um, yeah, I'll get back to that just now. Um, the, and then the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and in the night in a pillar of fire to give them light. Right? That speaks of God's presence. Remember the four, the four um, themes that came out as um, uh, purification, sanctification. So now we have the freeing of the slaves. They walk, they walk into the wilderness, right? But they're a free people, right? They've been set free, right? And then here we see God's presence was with them in the form of a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. And the, per, and the presence of God showed them the way. God hardened the heart of Pharaoh. So God could have left Pharaoh. He could have let him there, stay in Egypt, and um, Israelites would have gone their way, and um, they wouldn't have to go chase them. So, but God made, it is written as quite a significant point. He chose, he said like about three times in that chapter, I will harden the heart of Pharaoh so that he will come and pursue you. All right. Um, why? Why? That's why would he do that? And I just realized that the victory was greater. The victory is far greater. The testimony of God's working was so much greater at after the hearts have been hard, after that pursuing, the opening of the Red Sea, the drowning and the washing away of the Egyptians that, that went after them. The testimony is so much greater than just leaving it there in, in, um, uh, in Egypt. The, the, the miracle, the power of God um, 
was great. He said, for the sake of his, yeah, he writes, Exodus 14, verse 4, I will harden, make stubborn Pharaoh's heart, that he will pursue them, and I will, and I, yeah, and I will gain honor and glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So he hardened, it's an interesting fact, that he hardened someone's heart so that God can gain glory. But did God need to gain more glory? Have you ever thought of that? Why would he want to gain more glory? He's got all the glory. He's, he's everything. He's omnis. He's, he's everything. All right. So why would he want to do something to gain more glory? And you'll see later on, books ahead, books ahead, um, that the surrounding countries had heard of what God has done in Egypt. And because of that, they were in fear of the Israelite army or the Israelite people moving away. They trembled when they heard the Israelites coming. So God didn't do it. He did it for his glory, but he did it for his namesake so that his name would be amplified even greater and made even stronger and, and more fear so that when it goes out, it prepares the way for the Israelites to come because the people were trembling. The surrounding countries were trembling when they heard, oh, the Israelites are coming because they knew what happened. All right, does that make sense? Okay, it's all going to come together. All right, and then the Israelites came and they already started their murmuring. They wanted to go back to Israel. And um, Moses says, the Lord will fight for you. And so all of that ha- happens. Now, this is an interesting part. He tells Moses, lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the seas. Now the Red Sea, and divide it, and the Israelites shall go on in dry, on dry ground. Right, they went through on dry ground. He lifted his rod. Okay, now this is something interesting, because as I move forward, you'll see that the second sea, which was the Jordan River waters that parted, was parted in a different way. Okay, but we'll get there. Um, the enslaved, the uh, slaves, they were slaves. They had just come out of 430 years of slavery, this, these people. And they understood a rod. They understood what it means to um, be commanded by a rod. A, a, a slave listens to, to a beating. A slave listens to a harsh word. A, a slave listens to commands and, and strong you know, rods, and they were beaten, and they were they were treated badly, you know, as slaves. So for them to that they could relate to to the rod, and if if you want to if you want to draw a comparison between the two ways, it's just something interesting to note. Forty years later, yeah, let let me go. Um, yeah, forty years later, that generation had died out, right? They all died. They passed away in the in wilderness. And you had a new and younger generation that is about now to cross a second river, a second water, river water crossing. I don't want to jump ahead of it too quickly. Um, as slaves, it made sense to use the rod. Slaves are used to listening to orders. A free generation, the free generation was born in the wilderness. They were not born under slavery. They needed speaking to. There was no need to strike a rock. Okay, well, I'll get there. To, I've, I've now jumped the gun. Okay. Um, uh, Moses, the first, okay, so they crossed the, they crossed the um, Red Sea, and one of the first miracles Moses does, so this is a lot of history, first miracles, um, 
that he does is he beats the rock and water comes out, right? He beats the rock with his rod or he strikes it with his rod and water comes out. 40 years later, they're at the same, not at the same place physically, but they're wanting water again and God asks, uh, and Moses asks, you know, what, what must I do? And God tells him to speak to the rock, right? And water will come out. And what does he do? He strikes the rock. And because of that, harshly judged, and, and I don't know, we don't know the full reason, but that, that is what the Bible says, is for that reason he disobeyed God. He didn't speak to the rock, he struck the rock, and that's why he didn't see the promised land. Right, but why is it so significant? Why? Because of that. Well, why didn't God forgive him that? It, it feels insignificant, or it feels, sure, God did forgive him, but why is it so significant? I just asked that question, you know, like, what is in it? Why? What can, what can we see here? And if you take the first time, um, uh, if there's a 40-year gap here, uh, uh, sorry, the enslaved generation died out, and Moses is faced now with a new generation and new people. They're wanting water. Okay. Um, uh, what I thought as what I f could be an interesting interpretation here is. Um, there was a new command for a new generation. It was the same miracle. There was the same need. There was the same cry from the people. But um, the previous enslaved generation, God did something in one way. But God doesn't, he's always consistent. He's always, always the same, but he works in different ways, right? So Perhaps Moses wasn't in tune exactly with what this, the new command was to the, the same rock, a rock that needed water. And God was saying, you just need to speak to this rock. These guys don't need to see a rod. They don't know what a rod is. They don't need a rod. That, they don't relate to it. They are a free people. Um, there is, you just need to speak to the rock and the water will come out. It's almost as if it symbolizes a relationship right, versus the rod. Um, so uh, just an example in our own life to make this more practical. Um, when we, I often hear my parents, when we disciplining our kids, um, they would say something like, our kids got way more hidings than your kids. We do believe in hidings. We give our kids hidings. But we've also come to understand that relationship building relationship with our children in this, in this time is far stronger and will go far further than what I will do to raise up my child hiding after hiding after hiding and them not grasping my heart, right? So there's a new season. There's a different time that we're living in and that different time and a different generation causes for a different instruction, if that makes sense. So thinking of the rock, it was a different generation, it was a different time, it was a different instruction. Okay, it's all going to come together. I would want to suggest to you that we are living in different times than what people did generation generations ago. All right, um, so perhaps Moses wasn't quite aligned with this new generation and therefore God needed to raise up a new leader, and he was doing that already at that time. 
Okay, so as leaders, okay, wait, oh, yeah. Love teaching up here in front because I always get confused. Everything's like, there's so much. As leaders, we really need to be in tune with exactly what God is saying and how His instruction to us is. So, um, I want to speak to us as a church, as as a, as a leading people, as a pioneering church. We believe we're a pioneering church, a pioneering body, a body that that paves the way. Am I right? You guys all with me there? That's 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 what we've been teaching. That's where we're going, and um, especially in in a time that is changing or times that are different, right? Um, so just with regards to that, we need to, we need to really be aware of God's direct instruction and that calls for us to live in his presence. Okay, let's go to Joshua 3 quickly. Uh, Joshua is now um, <coughs> obviously the new leader of the new generation of people. Um, and they crossed the waters in a different way. Let's read. If you read with me, Joshua 3, um, verse 3, Joshua rose early in the morning and they removed from Shittim and came to the Jordan. He and all the other, other Israelites and lodged there before passing over. After three days, the officers went through the camp, commanding the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, your God, being born by the Levitical, Levitical priests, sit out from where you are and follow it. Okay, then he goes on and he says, there must be a space between you and the ark so that you can see it, um, uh, that you can know the way you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And then again he says, sanctify yourselves, that is, separate yourselves for a special and holy purpose, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Okay, if you just quickly go back to the exiting of the Israelites out of Egypt, same thing. Sanctify yourself. Um, he took him through the process of sanctification, and then they crossed. Now he's saying, yeah, sanctify yourself. Set yourself apart for a holy purpose, which is what we are called for, right? And, um, and then he says, make sure that you see the Ark of the Covenant, all right? Because it will lead you the way. Okay. Um, then, this is the cool part. Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass, uh, and pass over before the people. And they took it up and they did that. The Lord said to Joshua this day, I will begin. Okay, now let's jump to verse 8. I don't have to read all the in-between parts. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. In the Jordan. Joshua said to the Israelites, come near. Hear the words of the Lord. Um... Okay, and they did all of that. So now take 12 men from the tribes of Israel and one from each tribe. Verse 13. When the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan coming down from above shall be cut off, and they shall stand in one heap. Okay. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the ark of the covenant before them, and when those who bore the ark had come to the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were in the brink of the water, the Jordan over, um, yeah, long, 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 all the, uh, all the in-between parts, the, but the, all the different waters feeding the Jordan were cut off. 
All right. So basically, what had stopped the waters from flowing? From what? What had stopped the waters from? Um, how did they? Why did they mount up the waters on either side? Because of the priest carrying the ark of the covenant. Right. Here's what I'm getting at. The first time, back 40 years ago, Moses put his rod on, right? And that's what opened the waters. Here you have the, the actual presence of God that is symbolized in the Ark of the Covenant moving into the middle of the Jordan, and you have the waters separate for, for the Israelites to walk through. So here we have a new generation. They have a different order. They have a different purpose, they are being sanctified for a different purpose, and they have the presence of, a God, of God going before them. This generation knew what it was like to see the presence of God. The slaves didn't know the presence of God. They didn't see the presence of God. Yeah, these guys had 40 years of a cloud of pillar following them. They had a cloud, they had a cloud by night, a cloud by day following them. They saw, every time Moses walked into the tent, they saw the cloud moving, they could see, they knew what it was like to follow the presence of God. Amen. And, um, and yeah, they, it was normal for them to walk forward and, and follow the presence of God. So I'll bring it to a, to a place just now. Um, the Ark of the Covenant symbolizes the presence of God, but also this, so what was, this was exciting, this is what excites me. What else was in the Ark of the Covenant? They were, um, oh yeah, an idea. <laughs> Everything else. We, they were, they were all the remembrances of what God, of the miracles that God had done. There was manna in there. There was the book of, um, remember, the, or the book that they had written in, that Moses had written in was in there. The tablets were in there. So everything that God had given them as a testament, as a promise, was in the ark and went before them. Right, so um, what is the testament we are? Uh, yeah, okay, the Ark of the Covenant symbolizes the presence of God, but also the sacred testimonies of the miracles and power of God that they have experienced. Um, <sighs> there's so much. <laughs> Sorry, I hope it's is it sort of making sense to where I'm going? Not yet. Um, Throughout the scripture, we see God instructing his people to keep something for their children's children to know him by. It's the testimony of his power. It's the, it's the testimony of his power. And um, I was just thinking of, we, we preach a lot about the increasing kingdom of God, the increasing government of God. Right. The only way we can cause an increase in the government of God, the increase of the kingdom of heaven on earth, is through testament, through carrying, through building up a momentum, uh, building upon building of testament upon testament, because it, it grows, it becomes a testament, an increasing testament of God's goodness and of God's power, right? So all that they had, were, they didn't have Facebook. That reminded them three years ago, memory pops up, right? They had to write it down and they had to, share it with each other. They had to teach their children. And I just, I thought to myself, that's something we've almost lost as a, as a generation of people um, in our own personal lives. Like what is, what are the things that God has done in our lives? And are we teaching our children? Are we 
reminding our children, children's children, of what God has done? Are we reminding the people that we lead, the people that are surrounding us, as, as um, the people that we're influencing in our lives, are we reminding them, are we bearing testimony of God's work and of God's miracles that has happened in our lives and in the past? Um, Exodus 17 verse 14, um, And the Lord said to Moses, Write this for a memorial in the book, and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. Now this is um, when God was raising up Joshua. After, after they um, defeated the Amalekites, God said, rehearse this in the ears of Joshua. Right? He knew Joshua was the up-and-coming up leader. But he needed to hear. He needed to hear it over and over and over what God had done. And that's something we don't, we've lost. We, we are not rehearsing it. Over. What are you rehearsing in the ears of the people around you, in the ears of your children, in the ears of those you influence? Are you rehearsing his good testament over and over? All right, so God's command there was, rehearse this in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under the slaves. Okay, so that he was called to, yeah. Does that make sense? Uh, what is the taste and we're rehearsing in the ears of our children, those we have influence over increase of his knowledge? Yeah, all right. So that is how we, we see the increase of God's government here on earth. All right, we're getting there, we're getting there. Uh, I was just like, suppose. Another place where we see where God's testament went before, um, before the Israelites, is... Um, uh, when the, the um, Israelites had not gone through the Jordan River and they were at the walls of Jericho, they sent the two spies to Rahab. I think it was Rahab. What was her name? Yes. She lived in the tower. And she said this, Joshua, Joshua 2 verse 9. And she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of Amorites who were in the east side of Jordan and all these names and names. Okay, so so that, that testament went out before them and it caused terror amongst the people. Right, I did mention that earlier. Okay, so um, and then last, uh, you're not last thing, Joshua 4, sorry, a lot of reading. When all the nations had fully passed over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, this is verse 4, 4 verse 2, Joshua 4 verse 2, take 12 men from among the people, one man out of every tribe, and command them, take 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan from the place where the priest's um, feet stood firm, carry them over with you, and leave them at the place where they lodge tonight. Okay, and so they did that. That this may be a sign, verse 6, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. Right, why did they have to do the 12 stones? To call, so that when their children want to ask, there's an opportunity. You created an opportunity to call to remembrance that which God had done for them. All right. And that's just something. So this is where this little thing comes in for me. 
every spring since I can remember. Um, since I was a little, little girl, my mom always used to, we didn't always have our own jasmine, and we still don't have our own jasmine, so we know which gardens in the neighborhood had jasmine. And we'd always go pick, and within that week, as soon as the jasmine starts coming out, we'd go put it, we'd go fill the whole house with little bottles of jasmine. And I started doing it when I had my own house, and I've, I've done it every year, you can ask Daniel, every year, he knows. When the bottle of jasmine comes somewhere, appears somewhere in the car, there's jasmine being driven from another house. And, um, and I realized while I was just preparing, because I told Daniel, this, this thing has nothing, this sermon of mine has nothing to do with spring. And um, I actually realized this morning, there's a lot of, uh, in this of talking, uh, there's a lot in this talking about a new season. And for me, this calls to remembrance, and Daniel actually mentioned it this morning, I didn't know he would, about Brendan that was a sign for us of the first fruit of spring. It was, he calls to remembrance. Every time I see this, it brings back the remembrance of a new season, um, something new, you know. And God is always the same. Yes, he's always the same. He always, he, he, we don't have to live in those seasons, but, but he makes all things new. He, he does work in a different way. If he, if he did everything the same, he doesn't do everything the same. You can go read the Bible. You can go read this testament of his, how he, he does things differently every time. We can never, he's a completely unpredictable God. So um, uh, this whole thing of going into the Jordan with the, with the spirit of God and his testament ahead of you and it being a new, a new leader that had to take over there was something in that for me that God is busy. He was stirring something up in me, and then this this came to me. Um, when um, it was time for Moses to die, <laughs> and um, jo- uh, Joshua had to take over. This is in Deuteronomy 30, 31, verse 7. Um, they were called to the tent where they would always meet this. I want to read this part to you. And Moses called to Joshua and said to him, in the sight of all Israel. Moses, yeah, yeah. Moses called to Joshua and said to him, verse 7, in the sight of all Israel, be strong, courageous, and firm, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to possess it. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will march with you. He will not fail you nor let you nor forsake you. Fear not, neither become broken in spirit um, and depressed, unnerved, and all these things. Um, so, more than three times, if you go on to Joshua 3 and Joshua, oh, Joshua 1, God says repeatedly, repeatedly to Joshua, be courageous, be strong, um, do not waver, all of that. He reminds him all the time. And here I'm thinking, but Joshua and Caleb were the two spies that were sent out. They were the two that came back and said, we can do this. We can take them on. We can face those giants. He was the next in line. He was a man of God. He had a different spirit, says the Bible. Why would God constantly be reminding him to be courageous, to be strong? And I was like, why? Because surely he was that person. And it didn't make sense to me, and I just, I was just like, God, why? Show this to me. And, and, and oopsie, this broke open to me in, a, in a quite an amazing way. Um, uh, 
verse 14 of this Deuteronomy 31, verse 14. He calls Moses and Joseph alone into the tent where they would always speak to each other. And the Lord said to Moses, now imagine this. This is now um, Moses, Joshua, standing, and God came into the tent. They're in the tent of meeting, it was called. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, he's to Moses, behold, your days are nearing when you must die. Imagine that. God calls you to a meeting and says, it's time for you to die, nearly. Call Joshua and present yourselves at the tent of meeting that I may give him his charge. And Moses and Joshua went and presented themselves at the tent of meeting. And the Lord appeared in the tent in a pillar of cloud, and the pillar of cloud stood over the door of the tent. That's pretty cool, right? Okay. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you shall sleep with your fathers, and this people will... Now listen to this. You shall sleep with your fathers, and this people will rise up and play the harlot after the strange gods of the land where they go to be among them. And they will forsake me and break my covenant, which I have made them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day, and I will forsake them and hide my face from them. And they shall be devoured, and many evils and troubles shall befall them, so that they will say in that day, Have not these evils come upon us, because our God is not among us? And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil which they have done. Right, he carries on. He says a lot of things there. And he tells Moses to write a song about all of this. So he's still, Joshua and Moses are still together in this tent. And Moses, God is saying all these things to Moses. And then the Lord charges Joshua, son of Nun, be strong. And firm and courageous, for you shall bring the Israelites. Okay, now I just want you to picture it. So there's Moses and Joshua, and they're going into this tent. Moses tells, uh, God tells Moses, you're going to die. You're going to take over, and I will forsake the country. I will forsake the people. I will forsake them because they will be harlotry, and they will be serving other gods, and they will be, they will be whitewashed, you know, type of thing. What would you feel as this new up and rising leader? What, what would you feel? You will tremble. You will be like, that's why God was saying, be strong, be courageous, be firm, stand in your belief. That is why God was, he, was, he kept girding him up and saying, you can do this. Because what I actually want to propose to you is that it's harder for a leader to lead a country that has lost their identity and has lost their God and has had a, their God forsake them than to face whatever giant may lie in a new country. So it wasn't about be strong and courageous because you're facing giants. It's be strong and courageous because you've got to lead these people that will forsake me and I will forsake them. That was where the challenge lied. And um, bringing this to us again, um, I feel like we've been speaking a lot about a pioneering people, a, 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 a body that leads, right? We're a church that leads people. We're all leaders where we're called. You're, you're a leader of your household. You're a leader of your children. You're a leader at your work. You're a leader in your business area. Wherever you're at, you lead, 
right? And around us, it may appear as our, you know, the people have lost their faith, the people have lost their God, the God has forsook them, if you want to put it that way. But God is saying, I've called you, I've sanctified you, I've set you apart, okay? My presence is with you, my testament is with you. Let's go into this country, let's go into this, walk across the Jordan and dry land, be strong, be courageous, for I will be with you, okay? No matter what it appears to be, what, no matter what the people around us are appearing to be, they might be, um, you know, serving false gods, or they might be, we, we're living in strange times today, right? But you were called for a time such as today. You were called for a time such as this. Um, okay, I'm getting there. A generation who's lost their identity in God is far greater to lead than any giant they may face on the other side. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Remember to visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za where you can sign up to receive more of these powerful messages.